as we begin, I'm sort of reluctant to even mention this, but it helps as a, a segue, and I'm certainly reluctant to do it with visitors here, but in 2007, I was voted Time Magazine's Person of the Year. I mean, I just I hate to bring that up, especially when you don't know that, but it's true. If you look at Time Magazine in 2007, it says Person of the Year, you. And I just, I can't believe it. I'm the person of the year. Had a little mirror there and I saw my face in the front page and I opened up to read about me. And this is what it said about me. Person of the year, you, who else? And I was like, well, gosh, I could think a lot of the people, but, and this is apparently the thing that I had done. I, you changed the way we see ourselves. You changed the world we live in forever. It's like, Wow. You, you left your footprint and contributed to the very foundation of what has come to the future, going to happen in the future. I was like, I had no idea I was doing all these things. I mean, the massive impact I was having was really beyond my expectation. And I guess technically it, they weren't just referring to me. I mean, I think that's just a technicality. I think they may have been referring to actually everyone who picked up the magazine that year. But I bring that up because... We just live in a, a culture, we live in a society that's dominated by interest in ourselves. And, it, and it's very easy when you're thinking about what would be a next step, what would be what God's calling me to be or calling me to do, that, that you begin to think of it in this way, how can I leave my footprint? And you can just hear that from the Hartleys, can't you? It's just so easy to think, okay, this is... This is what God's called me to do. And then to just take that beautiful call and shift it ever so slightly in one way, but in a much bigger way when you go, how can I go to Asia and change the world forever? You see what happens? Then you've totally missed what it's about. It's missed, you missed a, that it's about God and you've replaced it with, it's about you, what you're, you're about, what you can do, bringing Glory to yourselves. And this happens so easily in the culture. And then so we're not surprised when it comes into the church. I was watching a well-known televised church service. And the musical guest was singing the pop song by R. Kelly. I believe I can fly. And I was like, wow. I mean, I didn't realize R. Kelly was, you know, a deep theologian. And when... They wrote that song. Uh, he was thinking of the Lord when he wrote that song. But here was the guest, musical guest, singing. And I thought, why, why are they singing this song? And then they belted out this line. I thought, this is why they're singing it. This is the, the cultural doctrine that this church wants to make sure you understand. If I can see it, I would sing it, but it wouldn't really quite do it justice. <clears throat> If I can see it, then I can do it. If I just believe it, there's nothing to it. Because, or if you're R. Kelly, because, what? Because what? Because I, I believe in me. And there it was, right on the stage of the church, with the big cross in the background and thousands of people tuning in. This person belting out our cultural doctrine. I believe in me. And you should believe in you. 
That's what we're about, isn't it? And you see, you see how that attitude, that, that person of the year being you, you being at the center, that in the Bible is actually called sin. <laughs> and so here we don't want to be promoting that idea. But it's just so easy for us. I mean, you can be thinking, I don't want to be that way. It's just, it's just so easy to take these gradual little steps and then it just everything arcs back to, what about me? How is it affecting me? I'm really at the center. And we're not surprised because when we look back to Genesis 3, we displaced God from the center of our lives and we became like Narcissus. We fell in love with our own reflection and we're stuck there as a culture. We're just looking at ourselves endlessly amazed with who we are and wanting other people to see that in the same way. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Romans 1. Although we claimed to be wise, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to make that, that look like mortal man. See, what's worth staring at, what's worth making much of is God. And we've had this massive substitution where now what we think is really worthwhile is an image made of mortal man. And most of the time that image is actually an image of ourselves. I read this week that somebody said on every bathroom mirror there should be attached a warning. Kind of like the warning you see in the, the side view mirror. And the warning should say, objects in this mirror will likely appear much more important than they are. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, what's, what's our next step? And when we think about it, principally, we need to, to really think about, is it something about us or is it something about God? And that's a, something we can all wrestle with no matter what our step is. So I want to look through these passages this morning and see what the primary purpose, no matter what your step is, the primary purpose of your step is to, and what's the answer? To glorify God. We set it in our affirmation of faith. The, the primary purpose of whatever God's calling you to do, whatever God's calling you to be, is to glorify God. That's, that's the primary purpose. That's, that's the ground in which you're operating out of. That's the platform that you're stepping off from is to glorify God. David writes in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. It means, the word glory means to give weight to. In other words, when you, when you see creation and you look at a beautiful sunset, or you look at a massive waterfall, or even a, a little flower that blooms in the wood that nobody sees, all of those things are meant to, to lift up God, to make Him known, to, to give Him weight, to give Him reality. And so we're just the same. Our, our existence, our being, everything that we do, where, however we step out of this place this morning, is meant to help people say, there really is a loving God and He is real and I can see it through the lives of these people. And so our, our purpose, as I said, is no different than really the heavens. But it's critical in our minds to have this firmly established that we're really here to glorify God. And I think that's sometimes hard for us to get into our minds. We're, we're really here for God. 
And yes, people may be involved, a country may be involved, a family may be involved, whatever that may be, but the primary purpose of you being somebody, of you doing something, is to bring glory to God. Now, that's been tested a lot of times in, in the life, in my lifetime of ministry, but it was tested early on in a very sort of unusual way uh, when we started Christ Community Church. The very first year we started was in the spring of 2002, and it was maybe a month or so before Easter. And so I decided the week before Easter, we'd have these little services at noon, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so we had something at Temple Baptist Activity Center, and it was at noon for maybe 45 minutes. And it was really meant to help you for this Easter week start drawing your attention towards Christ and just coming during your lunchtime and spending a half an hour listening to some music, singing a song, praying for a few minutes. And then I gave like a little five to ten minute, um, you know, homily sort of thing on some aspect of the cross. And so Monday, uh, it was in the little chapel there, Monday, ten or twelve people came. Tuesday... 10 or 12 people came. Wednesday, nobody came. And so, you know, it's, it's 5 after 12, it's 10 after 12. At some point you realize nobody's going to come. And so I thought, well, i got a free hour. And then I sat there and I thought, well, why am I here? Am I here to make an imprint on the people who come? See, if I'm here to do that, then I've got a free hour. But if I'm here to glorify God, God came. I can give Him glory. I can be the little flower that bloomed in the wood that nobody saw. Because I'm not here to leave my imprint on the world. I'm here to glorify God. And so what I did is I did this whole little thing all by myself, me and God. I sang. I sat quietly and listened to the music. I prayed. I gave the little sermon to myself. It was really the best <laughs> sermon I've ever delivered. I'm sorry you missed it. But you see, what it happens right then. There's the decision. Am I really preaching to leave an imprint on you? Is that my primary reason I'm here? Is the primary reason you take your step, next step into a country, into a relationship, into your neighbor's house? Is it primarily so you can leave your imprint or your impact on the world? If that's true, then it's going to make a big difference if it's not to glorify God. And so the Bible is clear that the primary purpose of what we do, why we exist, whatever our steps are, are really to lift up, to give weight to the reality of God. And so we can see that in these particular passages. Exodus chapter 9. It's in the middle of these ten plagues. Moses has come back and he's be, going to be the one who's going to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And the Lord is speaking to Pharaoh. And he says this in verse 15. By now I could have stretched out my hand and I could have struck you down and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth. But I have raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. You see, you can ask yourself, why ten plagues? Why, why not just one plague? Why any plague at all? 
What's, what's God's purpose here in stretching this out? Is it like, boy, this Pharaoh, he's a tough nut to crack. I just can't get his attention. Or is there something else behind it? And clearly the answer is what's behind God's purposes is that his name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. The whole purpose of the Exodus is that so that God's name could be known. You see, you could think and look at the Exodus and say, I thought the purpose of the Exodus was to save people. But that's not the primary purpose of the Exodus. The primary purpose of the Exodus is not man-centered, it's God-centered. The primary purpose of the Exodus is to bring glory to God. To make His name known in all of the world. And we know that happens because when Joshua comes into the promised land and he meets Rahab, remember what she says? We were terrified of you because we heard about how great your God is. And so the whole purpose of the Exodus isn't man-centered, it's God-centered. It's to bring weight to His reality, to help people know He really does exist and He's worth all of your attention. And so when I think about this, I think one question somebody might have, and it would be hard for them, I think, to ask it. But it's possible some people could have this question. Is God self-centered? I mean, you'd whisper it because you never want to know. Let people know your aunt's asking that question. But he's doing stuff to make himself known. He's doing stuff because his name is great. And you kind of go, that sounds a little self-centered. Is that okay? Is it okay to be for God to be self-centered? <laughs> yes, it is. It wouldn't be good for anybody else. But it's great for God. Why is that? Because He's the greatest thing that ever happened. He's the only thing. He's the only being that can occupy a soul for all of eternity. You cannot occupy your soul for all of eternity. The whole world cannot occupy your attention for all of eternity. The only thing that really can occupy your whole being for all of eternity is God. And for Him to capture your attention is a gracious, loving act. It's not self-centered. It's the most graceful thing He could possibly do. For Him to draw attention, for you to be able to get into that circle of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and just to enjoy Him forever. He's the only one who can do that. And if He doesn't help you see it, then you fall into idolatry. And idolatry is a thorn and a snare. So it's very great that God is so self-centered that He's drawing your attention away from yourself. He's drawing your attention away from the world and He's putting attention on the only thing, the only being who can occupy your attention for all of eternity. So when we pray, what's my next step? We, we want to think about the step meaning how is it pointing people to God? Whatever that step is, however I'm moving through my life, 
whatever it may be in a big way, like I'm moving my family, or maybe I'm just getting through lunch. How is it that I'm pointing people to God? How am I drawing people their attention to Him, the one person who can satisfy for all of eternity? So when I was thinking about this particular point, I was thinking about college students. And I was thinking the pretty typical question asked by a college student is, what's God's will for my life? Now, I know that question happens even after your college, but a lot, a lot of times in college, well, what's God's will? And, and really, when we ask that question, most of the time we're thinking about, what's my career going to be? And I just want you to hear the difference between career and Christ. When you ask what God's will for my life is, and we point to a career, who are we pointing to? We're pointing to ourselves. And what I want you to know is, whether you're at a busy intersection, or you're a little flower in the wood, wherever you might be planted for your career, the most critical part about who you are and where you're planted is who you're bringing weight and glory to. And that can happen in any number of places. So whatever it is you may be called to do or called to be, embedded in that is bringing glory and weight to God. 400 years later after the Exodus, we have the people in the promised land in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And they've decided they don't like, they don't like to be who they are. They'd rather look like the other nations. This is pretty typical. You know, if you get involved in church, then you start looking weird, and I don't want to look weird, so I'd really like to look like everybody else. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to look different. That's fairly common, and it's very common for the people and say, hey, you know what we want? We don't want God to be our king. We want a regular king of our own. And they turn their back on God as their king. Verse 19, the people all said to Samuel, when they realized what they had done, Samuel, would you pray to the Lord? Would you pray for us so that we will not die? For we have added to all of our other sins this evil. We've asked for a king other than God. You see, the people understand that they've committed a great sin, and that sin is they want somebody else to be their king. And the question is, is when you go to God and you say, you know what, I requested that you would not be my king anymore. I wanted to follow somebody else. How's God's going to respond? When you tell God, I don't want you to be king, and then you have to face him, how's he going to respond? And that's a critical question that everybody needs to have an answer to. What's the ground of his response? What's his first impulse? Verse 20, and we see the gospel here. Samuel says to the people, God responds this way, even though you have done all this evil, even though you have rejected me as the creator, as the creator, as the king, even though you deserve death, he says this, don't be afraid. I'm not rejecting you. I will not forsake you. I'm still drawing near to you. How can God be drawing near to people who are rejecting him Answer, verse 22. The Lord will not reject his people for the sake of? For the sake of the people? No. Do you see what happens? That's man-centered. 
the terminating point in that thinking is man. And he's saying, no, the terminating point for God is God. I'm doing it out of my own great name. And aren't you glad God is operating out of his name rather than operating out of your name? I'm so glad he's not saying, Paul, let's just size you up and see if you fit. Because guess what? I don't fit. I'm not making the grade. And he's saying, Paul, I'm not operating out of you for your sake. I'm operating out of you for the sake of my great name. And because it's for the sake of my name, then you get a massive benefit because I'm going to be the same today, yesterday, and forever. I'm always about bringing people in to seeing my name and operating out of that place that the people would see God as great. God's first love, His first impulse is rooted in the value of His own name, not the value of people. And what God values the most, we should value the most. God operates. His first impulse is not based on people, but it's based on God. And what God values the most, we should value the most. And the reason that's critical is because I'm asking you to consider what the next step is and I'm guessing that the next step for many of you all is to step into a hard place might be a relationship might be a country might be a family might be a neighbor I don't know what that would be but I'm guessing a lot of you for you all the next step is going to be a difficult step and I want you to know I want to know what you're operating out of. What's the ground of your operation? See, because if you say, I'm taking the next step, I'm moving into this place for the sake of these people, what happens when they reject you? You're going to walk away. But if you're stepping into this relationship for the sake of God's name, then you're not going to walk away. 1989, I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina. I knew a few kids who had been on a bus that went to Windy Gap, a Young Life camp with me. But I'd never been to New Hanover High School, which is the place I'd spent 13 years doing ministry before I started this church. In 1989, the first day of school, I go to New Hanover High School. I walk in between sort of the gym and the main building towards the cafeteria. I'm walking down a sidewalk. A little sophomore girl comes up. And she looks at me and says, I wish you weren't here. That's the first person I talked to. And that's the first statement I got. And my thought was, right now, me too. <laughs> I'm working on my resume this afternoon. I mean, what do you do when that happens? What happens when God calls you to something and you step into it and the people say, I wish you, didn't, you hadn't come. I don't want you to be here. I don't like that you've arrived. What's going to happen with the Hartleys when they go to Asia and they have all this anticipation that, oh, so many great things are happening, God's moving, and they meet somebody who says, I wish you all went back to America. We don't need you over here. How are you going to stay at that moment? You see, if it's because you came for people, if I had come for high school students, I would have left a long time ago. 
If I'm coming for you, a congregation, as nice as you've been, I would have left a long time ago. But I'm not here for you, primarily. I'm not primarily here for high school students. The Hartleys aren't primarily going to Asia for the people who didn't live in Asia. They're going for the glory of God. They're going for the name of God. And so when they step into hard places, they'll say, hey, this is hard. This is hurting me. I'm crying. I'm sad because of this situation. But I'm going to stay because I didn't primarily come for you or because of you. I primarily came for God. Everything's about God. And the best example, John chapter 12. Jesus is in that upper room. He's praying. And He's saying, God, my heart is troubled. Why? Because the real king came and the people rejected the king. What shall I say? Shall I say, God, would you save me from this hour? God, I don't want to take this next step. Is that what I should say? No. No, this is the purpose for me coming. And I want to know what that purpose is. Jesus, what is your purpose for being here? Are you primarily here to save me? Did Jesus primarily come to save you and me? Are you and I his terminating point? No. The text couldn't be any clearer. Verse 28. Father, what does it say? Glorify your name. The ground in which Jesus operates on is not man-centered, it's God-centered. We see that at this critical moment. He came, and yes, we benefit from His coming, but He's primarily focused on bringing God into the picture, bringing Him into the equation. That's, his, that's the platform in which He steps off onto. When He takes His next step towards the cross, is He looking at me and thinking about me primarily? No. He's thinking about the great name of God. And that's the thing that keeps Him moving forward. And that's the thing that's going to keep you moving forward no matter what your next step may be. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe you don't even know what it is and you're just praying about it. But I know whatever it is, if it's going to be a right next step, if it's going to be a successful next step, it's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about you making an imprint. It's not going to be about you changing the world. It's going to be about bringing God and helping people say it's all about God. And when it's all about God, then we become the beneficiaries of understanding. That's the best news in the whole world. Let's pray together. Lord, as I put this sermon together, I just thought this is hard to really understand. It's hard to know necessarily what's the, the practical application to this and but this, this is really the ground by which we must make our next step. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would divinely help 
people discern these words and to, to help make their terminating point for their whole life the glory of God rather than themselves, rather than the world, rather than their family, rather than their neighbor, rather than people who live in poverty, rather than people who live in darkness. Whatever those things are, none of those are big enough to make the terminating point. Only you are. And when we have that in place, when we're primarily interested in giving weight to you, oh, so many things can happen. But when we're primarily interested in giving weight to ourselves, so limiting. So help us. Help us to really shift our thinking away from ourselves and toward you. Lord, you've given us many things, many resources. As we, as we collect money today, one of the resources. May, may it be redistributed like our time. Maybe it may be redistributed like our talents across this city for the glory, for the weight of your name. In that great name we pray. Amen.